welcome to Momming on the Go. This is Rachel. It is 5 a.m. I woke up an hour ago with intense pain and the need to relieve my bladder. I slowly, slowly, slowly made my way out of bed to the bathroom where I got some ibuprofen and relieved my bladder, then slowly, slowly, slowly crept back to bed. It hurts to move, and it hurts to cry, but I had to cry, and then I had to get up again. I wanted to make sure all three of my children were alive. You see, 48 hours ago, I was 16 weeks, three days pregnant with another baby. One week earlier, I had seen my active, and in the words of the sonographer and my doctor, perfect baby, wiggling around my uterus. I was also diagnosed with placenta previa, which means that my placenta was in the exact wrong spot of my uterus, but my baby was perfect, so I was put on modified bed rest. Not easy during the summertime with active children, but I just wanted this baby to make it alive and healthy to term, so I was 100% on board with that. I had started to feel my baby move, which is one of my favorite feelings in the world. We had friends over last Saturday, and my baby was making some definite moves inside of me. Sunday night, I thought I'd give myself a treat and listen to baby's heartbeat with the Doppler my sister is letting me borrow. Usually it takes only a minute or two to find the fast, rhythmic beat. This time, it took an hour, and I was only mostly sure I found it. The next morning, I thought I'd try again, and after 20 minutes, I was pretty sure I found it. There are lots of sounds in the pregnant uterus, but there is only one definite heartbeat. When I was pregnant with Promise, I got used to finding and listening to the heartbeat, and my practice the last six weeks with this baby had made me somewhat of an expert. Later Monday morning, I was sitting outside watching my kids play on my modified bedrest. As in, they were playing and I was on modified bedrest. When I stood up to come inside, I noticed that my underwear were slightly damp. Now, it's finally hot summer in Texas, so I thought it was just from sitting in the partial sun and sweating. Over the next two days, however, I noticed that I continued to get wet spots. Uh, I've been pregnant eight times, and the more times you have been pregnant, the more your bladder is apt to leak. However, I thought it was suspicious, so on Wednesday afternoon, I called my doctor, who made an appointment for me to come in the next day, Thursday morning. One of my wonderful neighbor friends agreed to babysit my kids for about two hours. I left saying, hopefully this won't take long and it will all just be pee. My doctor took me right back. They did a swab to check if it was amniotic fluid, and then she got her sauna machine ready to take a quick peek. We both noticed it right away. The baby was not moving, and we could not find a heartbeat. I have been pregnant enough and had enough sonograms to know what to look for. I was in shock. She was in shock. She asked the sonographer, the same one who I had seen the week before who told me my baby looked perfect, to come and double check. While I waited for them all to come back, still in shock, I texted my husband. They couldn't find a heartbeat. The doctor, her nurse, and the sonographer came back into the room. My doctor is someone who I love. She was my doctor for Greta and Kezi and the miscarriage I had in between them. She has had the same nurse this whole time. As the sonographer oriented the machine and the nurse sat down in the chair next to me, she reached out and held my hand. My doctor stood right there, and it was determined that my baby did in fact have no heartbeat and that my water had indeed broken. When the sonographer left, the nurse and doctor enveloped me in a big hug. 
They cried with me and supported me. I am so thankful for them. I asked my husband to have someone drop him off to come be with me. Husbands are still not allowed back in the doctor's offices, except for the 8 and 20 week sonogram, or with special permission. While I was waiting for him to come, the nurse came back to take my temperature. She had noticed when she was hugging me that I felt hot. It was true. I had a slight fever, which changed what the plan was going to be. The week before, I had been diagnosed with placenta previa. That meant that I could not deliver vaginally. Right away, when there was no heartbeat, I asked my doctor if I needed a C-section. She said, I think so, but let me talk to the high-risk doctor. This doesn't usually happen. Since the OB operating room was fairly busy that day, the plan became for me to come back on Friday to have a C-section. Except that my nurse noticed that I had a fever. Because my water had been broken, I was at risk for an infection, and a fever is a sign of an infection. So all of a sudden, there was going to be another C-section in the operating room on a busy day. My husband's work is close by, and he arrived pretty shortly after I asked him to come. I am thankful to his coworker who dropped him off. My doctor took us the back way out of the clinic so we didn't have to check out or go through a waiting room of pregnant people, and directed us through the maze to the ninth floor labor and delivery floor. When the lady at the window got off the phone and asked what I wanted, I said, with tears in my eyes, that my doctor had sent me down. I was brought into a triage room, given a gown to wear, and told a nurse would be in shortly. My nurse came and admitted me. When you are a labor and delivery nurse and you get a patient who has to deliver a stillborn baby, it is not your favorite. An event that should be filled with joy is now just sad. My nurse admitted me with compassion and care. I am thankful for her. Now, when you have a surgical operation, you are not supposed to eat or drink for at least six hours beforehand. Before I left for my doctor's appointment that morning, I had made myself eat a little something. Although when I'm apprehensive, I usually don't have an appetite. But it was a small breakfast and I hadn't drunk much water. And all of a sudden, I was NPO. That means I couldn't have anything at all to eat or drink until after the C-section. I still had pregnant nausea and pregnancy hunger. Telling a pregnant person they can't eat or drink is just not very nice. But in an attempt to be a compliant patient, I did not break the rules. My doctor sent the high-risk doctor to do a sonogram on me so they could discuss the best plan of action. He agreed that I needed to have a C-section, and he talked about even with a C-section, I was high-risk for hemorrhaging and possibly losing my uterus. All of a sudden, the day got a lot more scary. Not only was my baby no longer alive, but I was at risk for losing a body part. And my C-section was going to be done at a slightly higher location than a regular C-section to avoid hitting the placenta. And they would have at least two units of blood for me in the operating room because it was highly likely I would need at least one unit of blood to replenish all of the bleeding, both from the higher incision site and the location of the placenta. My doctor came in and talked to me about the same complications. I trust my doctor. She did a C-section on me for my second daughter, and people have been impressed by how well I healed after that, which is a testament to her skills and also to how God made my body to heal. Hearing my doctor talk about the potential of using my uterus further cemented the predicament I was in. She said, I'm going to do everything I can to save your uterus, but you just have to know what could happen.
The time for my surgery kept getting pushed back. I kept getting hungrier and hungrier. I had a headache from crying. I was dehydrated and starving and tired, and at one point I threw up. After I threw up, my headache mostly went away, but not my hunger. The anesthesiologist came in around 5 and gave me an epidural. Then he and the nurse took me to the operating room while Paul put scrubs over his clothes so he could come too. As long as everything was going well, he was going to be allowed to stay with me. When I got to the operating room, my legs had started to go numb, so I was just in charge of sitting and moving my bum from the stretcher to the operating room table bed thing. It was freezing in the OR and I was shivering uncontrollably. My nurse who admitted me got to also be my nurse in the OR and she covered me with blankets. One thing about an operating room table is that it is not a normal bed. You have to lay there with your arms spread out. Essentially, from above looking down, it looks like you are on a cross. I laid there thinking, I am on a cross about to give birth to a dead baby. I thought of Jesus dying on the cross for me. More tears. It is a sobering physical position to be in. Finally, around 6 p.m., everything was ready and everyone was there. I was draped so I could not see what was happening, basically beyond the top of my chest. Paul was sitting at my left hand. The doctors determined I was appropriately numbed, and the official operating room operation began, with my nurse stating everyone who was there at the time, what was being done on who, and the complete number of all the tools and supplies that were on the sterile table. Surgery is a big deal, and it has to be treated with extreme professionalism and care. I won't go into any squeamish details here, but the surgery was intense and long. I was numb, but I could feel the left side of my body a little bit, and I could feel some of the pressure of the moving and cutting and prodding. At one point, I told them I needed more medicine because I was starting to feel more. Paul watched the entire experience while he held my hand. About halfway through, the nurse anesthetist put oxygen on me and told me they would need to sedate me a little bit more. By the end of the procedure, I was mostly asleep, very drugged, and couldn't look or think straight. They told me my baby was a boy. I can't exactly remember going from the operating room to my new room, but I think I was holding my baby. Less than six months ago, I got to hold my other baby boy, Promise. This baby was about the same size. They were both six inches long, but he looked healthier and his skin was the really thin baby skin that left him looking red. His hands and fingers and feet and toes were tiny and perfect, and his boy part was most definitely a boy part. And that made me cry some more. One of my daughters specifically has prayed every single night for this baby to be a boy. And I have just wanted a brother for my little lad to play with and be friends with. I have given birth to two sons this year. Sons that are playing together in heaven right now, but will never be able to play with their big brother who has been so excited. Or play with their big sisters who have prayed for them every night of their existence. I did not expect this pregnancy to end this way. When I had promise, part of why my husband named him Promise was because we knew there was the promise of another baby. And there was another baby. I had promise on February 14, and I found out I was pregnant with this baby boy on May 1st. I did not think that God would let me get pregnant, only to have him die young. This baby has been prayed for by a whole myriad of people, and I have done everything right. 
There was no obvious reason why this baby's heart stopped beating, and I have followed all my doctor's orders and instructions. I don't know why this life was taken from us so early, but I do know that even though I don't understand, that God is still with me. And I knew I would need a reminder of that when I think of this baby. So I asked my husband if we can name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I don't know why God's plan for this baby was so short. Emmanuel's life was a gift and hope for me, both on Mother's Day this year and on the day that promise was supposed to be born. But I don't know why, with all the prayers and hopes and desires for life, why he couldn't still be alive. I know that God is not scared off by my questions, fears, hurts, or anger. I will probably never know why I've had to lose two sons this year. I don't know what caused Emmanuel's death, but I do know that God is with me. He loves me, and I have a whole horde of people who love me and are supporting me and caring for me. All the people at the hospital who cared for me this time were wonderful. I was a bit of an anomaly since this was the second time in six months I had given birth to a stillborn son. Everyone who took care of me knew before I told them that I had been through this before. They saw my tears. They saw my hurt and my pain, but they also saw the love that I am surrounded with and that even though I don't understand why, I still know that God is with me. Friday morning, they let my kids come in and see their little brother. They never got to see Promise, and when they said, when the hospital people said that they would make a COVID exception and let my kids come see Emmanuel, we quickly decided that would be a good idea. I am so thankful they got to see him, hold him, and touch him. Their little brother, so tiny and perfect, it was a gift. So now it's Saturday morning. I got to leave the hospital about 25 hours post-op, which is relatively unheard of for a C-section. I am thankful that my doctor knows me, trusts me, knows that I have had a C-section before, and that I am a nurse. I am thankful that I got put on an antepartum floor post-delivery. That is a floor for high-risk pregnancies instead of the mother-baby floor. I am thankful for the great crowd of witnesses all over the world that lifted me up in prayer on Thursday and are still lifting me up. I don't even know all of the people who are praying for me during my surgery. Some of my friends in other states told me they had their small groups praying for me. I am thankful for the fabulous assortment of friends who have watched our kids for an unplanned two days. I am thankful for the flowers I got sent to the hospital, the flowers I have received at home, the friend who sat and cried with me and brought me a soft hug to take home with me, and the promise of meals. I am thankful for my doctor and the nurses and all the people who took care of me and Emmanuel in the hospital. Yesterday was a really rough day. Pain medicine makes me throw up on an empty stomach, but a whole day of unplanned fasting and then a whole bunch of strong IV pain medicines on top of having major surgery in my belly, means that I have been nauseous. I lost the appetite I had on Thursday when I was starving, and I have thrown up several times. Not from eating, but because I can't handle the pain medicine and not being able to eat. But I need the pain medicine. I have had a C-section before, and doubly because I am a nurse, I know the importance of staying on top of my pain. I have more than 100 stitches in my belly. Some on the inside you will never see that will dissolve, and then a long line of them below my belly button, above my first C-section scar. It hurts to move. It hurts to laugh. 
It hurts to cry. It hurts to blow my nose. It hurts to go to the bathroom. It just hurts. The C-section was rough and intense. I am thankful to be alive, and I am thankful my uterus remains intact inside of me. I am thankful my surgery went surprisingly well, according to the medical people. That is a small miracle in and of itself. But it is really hard. I want my kids to have one more living brother, but I cannot emotionally get pregnant again. And so I am giving my heart to God. He is with me. He hurts with me. And even though I don't understand his plan, I pour out my heart to him. Psalm 34:18 in the ESV. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Thank you for listening to Momming on the Go.